The following message is from the Church at Greer Station. For more information, visit tcgreerstation.com. All right, so I'm going to start off by telling you about the time when Kayla and I first started dating. Uh, And so when Kayla and I first started dating, Kayla lived in Phoenix, Arizona, and I lived in Clemson, South Carolina, long ways away. And most of our, or a significant fraction of our getting to know one another was accomplished through emails and just notes back and forth. Um, No, it doesn't, it may not sound terribly romantic at first, but um, there was a lot of heart in there, um, a, lot of, a lot of sentiment. Um, but a couple of years ago, we went back and looked at some of those messages from early on, and we both had to chuckle a little bit because we read them and just saw how spiritual we thought we were uh, when we were writing those messages. And they were filled with a lot of, man, I just, I see the joy of the Lord in you. Um, I'm so thankful for God's providence and his sovereignty um, in bringing us together. All of those things were absolutely true. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that um, we didn't mean it um, and it wasn't real. Um, It was. It's just that at the beginning of romance, sometimes you lay it on a little bit thick. Um, (laughs) So why am I telling you about this? (laughs) Aren't we supposed to be talking about folly this week? Isn't romance and dating and marriage supposed to be sometime later down the line? Well, I'll be honest with you. The reason I share this story is because stories about the beginnings of romance can be a powerful hook when you want to teach an important lesson, when you want to teach something significant. It draws people in. People can identify with it. We can relate to it. Uh, A lot of us remember what it was like at the beginning of our own marriages. A lot of us imagine what it will be like when we meet the one. We love watching or reading about our plucky hero or heroine. I'm going to be adjusting this throughout, so bear with me. We love watching or reading about our plucky hero or heroine, working through their own complicated feelings about the attractive yet deeply flawed person they're currently dating, and the less flashy but actual soulmate who's been standing in front of them the whole time. Or even better, we like it when the hero is that overlooked soulmate um, who's kind of waiting in the wings and, and finally, you know, you know, doing everything they can, and finally the, the person recognizes that, yes, they're the one. Um, these are stories that draw us in. Now, guys, you might be rolling your eyes, saying, not me, not so much, um, but I, I just want you to stop and think, If you've ever seen The Karate Kid, recognize the whole plot of that movie hinges on Daniel-san and his feelings for Elizabeth Shue's character. I I couldn't remember it off the top of my head. Um, Matrix, not so much Lord of the Rings, but it's still in there. Um, Star Wars, um, all these stories, um, large parts of the action are driven by um, the desire to get the girl, the desire to to go forward. So guys, you're on the hook as well. Um, Recognize that. These are stories that capture our imagination. 
So how does this apply to fools and folly? Through the first nine chapters of Proverbs, Solomon has been making an extended plea for his son to pursue wisdom. And the capstone of that nine-chapter plea is an allegorical romance that we saw the first half of last week when Trevor introduced us to the lady called Wisdom in the first part of Proverbs, 19, Proverbs 9. Solomon recognizes the types of lives that we live, the character we develop, the soundness of our choices is as close to us as anyone that we might marry. In essence, Solomon wants his son to marry his heart to wisdom, to pursue her, to spend time with her, to adore her, just as ardently as he would pursue a young woman that had caught his eye. But as we saw before, most good romance stories have a romantic rival. I mean, you think about most romantic comedies, they're with the wrong person to begin with, and they have to eventually move towards being with the right person. Solomon is playing on that romantic allegory and rivalry to drive home the point to his son and to all of us that just as a good spouse is offered to us in wisdom, if only we have the eyes to see her, there's a bad spouse that will make our lives a misery if we are not careful and watch where we are going. Solomon profiles this spouse so the son may see her and turn away. So turn with me again to Proverbs chapter 9, where we will read through the passage again uh, before going on. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. All right, so as we walk through this passage and, and see what is this woman like, this this romantic rival, this one that is calling out for our attention, um, there's a couple of really obvious things that stand out. Uh, verse number 13, she is loud. Have you ever met someone who just tries a little too hard? They seem to be overcompensating for some insecurity. They're always the, the first to respond in any conversation, always talking over others. That's folly, too loud. Um, Solomon says it a different way in Proverbs 15.2. Uh, it says, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. Uh, Proverbs will also go on to make the point several times that wisdom and the wise are good at restraining their speech and offering limited, carefully chosen words that are fitting for the moment. Folly is the opposite. She makes up for lack of quality with quantity of words. She thinks if she can just spit out enough words over and over and over again that something's going to stick um, and it's going to be good enough. So folly is very loud. Surprisingly, um, she's seductive. It's not easy to explain why, but there's something that is appealing about this woman, um, appealing about folly. Um, this is what verse 13 is, is saying, that she's seductive and knows nothing. Um, whatever the reason is, um, it may be that we confuse her loudness for boldness. We're like, man... I really wish I could speak my mind that way. 
Um, or maybe we're thinking that, um, maybe we're not thinking very much at all. Maybe we're kind of confused and um, easily swayed. Um, maybe, maybe just maybe, um, there's rebellion in our own hearts that draws us towards this, um, this woman that makes us want to have what she seems to have, that, that independence um, that is really kind of an illusion in the end. Whatever the reason, there's a chance that we'll be drawn in. Um, and if you go back and in your own study, if you have time to do this, I would encourage it. If you go look and read through Proverbs 7, um, Solomon will give um, extensive counsel about how his son should you know, conduct himself with regards to um, marriage and sexuality and you know, say, like, please, like, there's this, this woman, this adulteress. She's going to call out to you. She's going to ask you to come. Don't go that direction. It's going to be destructive. Um, and then there's strong parallels between that and this passage here in um, Proverbs 9. So I would encourage you to look at that on your own and kind of see like, how there's a, um, a similarity between the two. Next point, folly is ignorant. No matter how much she speaks, um, the listen doesn't, listener doesn't get any smarter. Um, folly uh, is saying a lot of things, but they're not rooted in any sort of actual understanding of the world that she lives in. Verse 14, she sits in the door of her house. Folly is lazy. Uh, Proverbs 14.1 says, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. So when God wor God's word refers to home building, uh, we should understand it not just in, in the sense of construction and sort of like putting up a frame and then um, panels and a roof, uh, but understand that they're talking about like building a household um, and building the ability to uh, provide for a family, provide for um, guests and their hospitality. Wisdom is given as a contrast in that verse that the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Wisdom is always going to be expanding that capability, uh, always going to be um, building up her ability to um, serve others, to serve her family, to serve those um, outside of her family who are in need. Folly is the opposite. Um, whatever resources folly has, um, she's going to be wasting them, um, ultimately leaving no space for the needs of a family um, or hospitality for strangers. Uh, verses 15 and 16 calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Um, so the people that Folly is looking out for are what Proverbs describes as a simple. Um, the simple is not necessarily a, um, a wicked person, um, but maybe someone who's a little bit naive, hasn't really... Uh, seen a lot of the world or understand much about what's going on. Um, she's got her eye on him and telling him, like, please, come this way. Uh, wisdom has also made an appeal to that person and saying, like, I, I too am, like, am offering all of my treasures to you. Um, and so folly and wisdom are, are kind of in this chapter vying for that affection, vying for the same person. 
He's not necessarily a villain, the simple, uh, but his naivety is not an excuse for the moral calamity that he may fall into. Um, I thought it was also interesting that it says um, those who are going straight on their way. Um, elsewhere, Proverbs will talk about, um, they'll say in, in uh, chapter 15, folly is a joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. So this simple person, maybe even someone who is trying their best to do what is right, who is walking in a way that where, where they want to be obedient to the Lord, um, but still there's a temptation. Um, folly may be calling out to that person. Verse 17, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Um, folly is not a, a morally neutral figure. Folly is wicked. Um, it may not be immediately clear why I'm making this point, um, but I'll try to clarify it just a little bit. Um, but folly has, folly has larceny in her heart. Not only that, but she tries to make the case that larceny isn't just another means to an end, but the ends gained through immoral means are actually better, actually sweeter than if we had to obtain it through diligent labor. Solomon will again say this in a different way elsewhere um, in Proverbs 14. It says, the wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. Fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoys acceptance. Um, so fools will look at the guilt offering, look at the offering that Israelites would make when they had recognized they sinned and had repented and were trying to make restoration, trying to um, come right with God. Fools will look at that and say, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to have any part of that. Um, because fools don't understand wickedness. They don't, they don't understand what it is to um, do things that are an offense against a holy God. Folly is a morally confused soul. And finally, in verse 18, um, but he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. All right, so the end for um, folly is death. Uh, sometimes this can mean like a literal early death. Uh, poor choices, obviously, have been known to shorten lifespans. Um, if we think about things like substance abuse under the heading of folly, uh, then questions of connection between death and folly resolve themselves even further. However, whether fools die before their time or live to the ripe old age of 103, because I think Trevor last week kind of explained that Proverbs is not going to be a set of ironclad promises. Proverbs is going to be um, generally true observations about the world. Um, so you'll, you'll find exceptions. Whichever is the case, um, long life or short life, there is always an ongoing, progressing, deadening of our souls and hearts to the voice of our Creator. Uh, James chapter 1 in the New Testament um, in verses 14 and 15, we'll say this. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Um, just like with... I'm sorry, my mouth is super dry. Um... Kayla always gets on me because um, I always deform the bottle as I drink from it, but um, it's kind of a flimsy bottle. Folly brings death. 
Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Um, just like with Ezekiel in the Valley of the Dry Bones, God is fully capable of restoring the fully dead to full life at any time. Um, our God can save from death. And alongside that, God's purposes for judgment are often worked out through the character-shaping decisions we freely make over the course of our lives. Just as believers progress in sanctification and conformity to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, so a lot of unbelievers are going to progress in the hardening of their hearts and closing of their ears to the um, entreaties and rebukes of God. Um, I think if you think back over your life, you've probably known a few people like that, people that um, just as time goes on, time goes forward, um, they are more and more hostile to anything, anything that smacks of um, the Bible, Christianity, religion, um, whatever it is. So folly suitors are soon to be found with the dead, often physically and always spiritually. All right, so as we come to the end of this mini romance novel, um, it seems like it should be a no-brainer. Um, it seems like any one of us would say, please, please, give me wisdom. That's who I want to marry my life to. She's the girl for me. Um, but if we stop and think, if we think about our own lives, um, if we think about um, the world that we live in, uh, sometimes even the churches that we're in, uh, we realize that so many people make a different choice. Folly is often the preferred choice. Folly might be our preferred choice. Again, I mentioned Proverbs 7 before, and you know, when I'm preparing the sermon, I'm kind of tempted to <laughs> read every relevant scripture um, and know that I, I've got to resist that temptation. But again, I would encourage you to go back and look at Proverbs 7 and um, just look at Col Solomon's case study of the adulteress where um, the parallels between her and folly are made and the clear implications of Solomon's warnings are that we are susceptible, um, that we can be tempted. Um, read through that for yourself and say, like, can this apply to me? Um, and I know, like, um, these illustrations are all cast in, in terms of a father speaking to a son, um, but they really do um, apply uh, to both brothers and sisters in the Lord. So that's the other woman, Folly. Now, who are her suitors? Um, who, is the, who is the fool? What does the fool look like? I think it might be helpful uh, to stop for a moment and just tell you a little bit about, as I thought through this, what comes to mind uh, when hearing the word fool. And if you can identify with it at all, um, maybe it'll be helpful to you. Uh, but I think a lot of times when we hear fool, we think class clown, um, clumsy screw-up, I, I don't know if there's someone in your family or one of your friends where um, anyone in your parents' generation or grandparents' generation will you know, say, oh, bless their heart, just bless their heart. They, they try their best, and, you know, we love them, but bless their heart. Um, if you've ever known a person like that, um, that's who comes to mind Like a, a lot of time when I hear the word fool. Uh, I think of, again, Lord of the Rings, uh, Gandalf screaming, full of a took, um, whenever Pippin clumsily alerts about a million orcs and, and one cave troll to the Fellowship's presence. 
um, and then sounds the alarm clock for a Balrog. Um, oh, did I say it wrong? <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I thought someone was correcting my pronunciation of Balrog. <laughs> okay, got to write that. I'm getting the thumbs up from Ben. Thank you. All these characters are sort of a mixed bag. They have faults, but overall, they're, they're okay people. They're likable. Um, and none of these is what Solomon has in mind. Um, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 26. Let's start in verse 3. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Um, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Like a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like one who binds the stone in the sling is one who gives honor to a fool. Like a thorn that goes up into the hands of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like an archer who wounds everyone is one who hires a passing fool or drunkard. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Not a fun guy. Um, not... Not what we think of, the, the guy that um, we all love, um, he kind of roll our eyes and, you know, makes us groan, but he's not so bad. You know, God bless him, he's, he's our buddy and um, he tries his best. Um, that's not who it is. I mean, this is a person who um, their entire character uh, is turned against um, any sort of understanding of what it is to please the Lord with their life. Um, and so the results of that life, that character, shaped um, by constant foolishness, constantly repeated foolish actions, um, ultimately makes him just a curse to anyone that is relying upon him. So when it says that, um, like a lame man's legs, which hangs useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools, uh, it's talking about uh, e even when they say something that sounds like it should be wise, um, you know that they're not living that way. You know that they're not uh, actually walking in accordance with the thing that they're saying. So they've got the semblance of it. They've got a leg, but that leg is lame. Um, and then, you know, when someone who hires this person to accomplish an, a task, um, it's about as effective as if they stood in the middle of a crowd of people, took their bow and arrow, and just kind of randomly shot it up in the air and waited to see where the arrow lands. Uh, the fool is going to cause harm wherever he goes. That's who the fool is. Proverbs 17.25 says, A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. And Proverbs 17.21 says, He who sires a fool gets himself sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. I think this can be a hard word for us to understand. As followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, we have sort of an ethos of not thinking of anyone as beyond the reach of the redeeming power of the gospel. 
And that's right. We should think that way. We're compassionate people, and that's a good thing. So I think that we want to think the best of people, and that may be a mixed thing. The problem is, is that it's difficult for us to hold in our minds the tension created by biblical categories for the enemies of God. And that's who the fool is, an enemy of God. I think if we were willing to do a little bit harder work um, of loving our enemies and um, asking for the Holy Spirit to give us the strength to do that, um, we wouldn't have to blur the categories uh, that make it easier to relate to neighbors um, who may also be God's enemies through their foolishness. So what are we to do with this? How should we um, think about folly? How should we apply this uh, understanding in our own life? Number one, I think we need to check our hearts for the response of the Pharisee in Luke 9. Uh, do you remember that one where the Pharisee uh, stands at the temple and says, thank God I'm not like other men, and then talks about his tithing and talks about uh, the um, righteous life that he supposedly lived? Um, we need to make sure that we avoid that response. Solomon speaking these words to his son and to us. We are dust, and we should not assume that we naturally pursue wisdom and run from folly as we should. We need to ask the Lord to make um, Proverbs true in our life, where he says, The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. Um, we need to seek knowledge. We need to abstain from feeding on folly. Another way we apply this. Uh, friends, we live in a quarrelsome age. Is that a controversial statement? Can you all track with me on that one? Um, there is opportunities for folly um, in every direction. Solomon will say in Proverbs 20, it is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. Um, so if we want to avoid folly, uh, we need to look at the uh, just multitude of arguments, the, uh, the multitude um, of issues. And this is not to say that these conversation, conversations aren't important, uh, but it is to say we need to examine ourselves and see how we engage in them to make sure um, that we're not imitating the fool um, as we participate. We are not um, always going towards quarreling. Friends, um, we need to learn to recognize the fool, um, and having marked them, consider carefully how we relate to them. How much influence should we grant them in our lives? Uh, Proverbs 13.20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will self-harm. If we are intent on becoming wise, we need to recognize that the time devoted to fools uh, is time diverted from becoming wise. Proverbs 14.7 says, leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. Men and women, uh, we need to be ready to pass these things on to our children. Uh, we shouldn't outsource their instruction with regards to wisdom, um, and we shouldn't assume that there will be more time later. Uh, but again, uh, remember that uh, Proverbs says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline shall remove it far from them.
I want to share with you one final story from 1 Kings chapter 11 and 12. Um, y'all can turn there if you like, but I'm not going to read it. Uh, it, it it's pretty long. Um, I'm trying to my best to summarize it and, um, and make my points from that. Uh, 1 Kings 11 and 12 is the story of the end of King Solomon's reign, King Solomon who wrote all of Proverbs, and the beginning of his son Rehoboam's reign. Um, I think I'm saying that correctly. And if you remember anything about the story of Solomon, if you go and read this, you'll see that towards the end of Solomon's life, Solomon has um, become compromised. Solomon has married uh, women from every surrounding nation, and um, because those women worshipped foreign gods, um, eventually Solomon falls into worshipping foreign gods. Um, He establishes worship and facilities for the religions within the boundaries of Israel, and the consequence is that God passes judgment on him. The judgment takes the form um, of saying to Solomon that he will take away most of Israel from Solomon's son. And Solomon, Solomon's rebellion is um, so progressed, so deep, that he actually tries to thwart the judgment. God says, I'm going to give the king, I'm going to give, apart from the tribe of Judah, I'm going to give Israel to this person, uh, Jeroboam. And Solomon tries to go hunt him down and uh, kill him before that prophecy can come to pass. God protects him, Jeroboam, and eventually Solomon dies and his son Rehoboam succeeds him. The first matter that comes before Rehoboam for judgment is a question of the labor load of his Israelite subjects. Apparently, for all the material wealth that Solomon's reign brought, the working conditions of his subjects were hard, and they are pleading with Rehoboam for rest. Rehoboam considers the matter, and he begins by asking his father's counselors what they recommend. The counselors advise him to grant the subject's request, saying that it will lead to loyalty from them. And they're right. But Rehoboam doesn't care for this answer, so he consults a second group, his peers and friends, men of a similar age and level of understanding and experience as him. Their counsel is 180 degrees from Solomon's counselors. Rather than lightening Israel's load, Rehoboam, they say Rehoboam should ratchet up the pressure Solomon had applied. The young men are convinced that Rehoboam should rule through fear. The story being a tragedy, you can guess what happens. Rehoboam foolishly prefers the counsel of his naive and foolish peers. He follows in their folly and announces to all Israel that where Solomon had disciplined with whips, he will discipline with scorpions. Israel doesn't hesitate, but immediately secedes from Rehoboam's kingdom and places Jeroboam, the one God had identified as the means of his judgment, over them as ruler. Now, to be fair, in this story, there are matters of the Lord's judgment at play, um, and Rehoboam's folly was the fulfillment of God's promised judgment. Um, God's judgments are not going to be thwarted. However, there's also a couple lessons here. Um, Lesson number one, parents, for all of our desires for guiding our children to forsake folly and pursue wisdom, um, those desires may be undone if we ourselves are not holy. If we worship idols, either literally or through covetousness, then our children may not believe us when we tell them to fear the Lord. 
we may have, and then the second lesson is, is that is for us personally, individually, is that we can have access to the wisest instructor in the history of the world. However, if the Lord does not give us ears to hear, that's no help at all. And friends, um, let's ask the Lord to give us ears to hear. Um, let's ask the Lord to, to change our hearts um, so that wisdom is precious to us. And then when we see folly, um, we turn away, we turn around. Again, uh, in the book of James, he says this, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. So let's ask God for that wisdom. Let's ask him to be the one um, that marries our lives to wisdom um, and turns us away from folly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, you are a good father to us, and um, you have so graciously um, called us and made us your own. Um, your spirit has um, brought our hearts to life and um, given us faith to believe in your son, Jesus Christ, um, that we might be saved. Um, and Father, we pray that you'll continue the work of making us like your son, Jesus, uh, making us more and more conform to his image, um, growing in the wisdom that he has, growing in the wisdom that uh, Solomon described. Um, Father, we pray just that in every way um, you will do in our lives what you would want to do. Uh, Father, I ask these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.